If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Open those up. Uh, If you have it on your phone, I don't care if you open your Bible app and go there, however you get to that, I want you to get to 1 Corinthians 4. In a few moments, we're going to look at the first few verses there in 1 Corinthians 4, but uh, I'm going to take a little time setting the stage for what we're going to look at. So when you get turned there, if you got notes to take notes this morning, we do have those sheets available, by the way. You can grab those when you come in in the mornings, get ready. But again, I'm going to set the stage a little bit before we get to this scripture, because you know, about the time that, that I submitted my name for consideration for pastor here was about the same time that they came out with the focus of Valley Creek United. And I didn't know all the details at that time about what it meant, but I was struck with this idea of being unified. And the reason it struck with me so is because the need for unity has been on my heart for some time. And the reason it's been on my heart, because if you haven't noticed, everywhere you look these days, you find division. I'm not the only one that has noticed that, am I? Okay, I I didn't think I would, I hope not, because if you fail to recognize that and you fail to see the division in our world, you must be living under a rock, because division is truly everywhere. This past week, we started a new year, and we saw elected officials being sworn into office, and the question that people wonder is, will anything of significant be accomplished? Because there's so much division, will they ever be able to agree, right? For today, however, here's what I want to do. I want to narrow our focus, and I want to just consider the division I see between believers, because the thing that breaks my heart, and I'm sharing with you this morning because I'm pretty certain it breaks God's heart, is what I see happening in our world in the church as believers become more and more divided with each other, and not even more divided as believers become more and more combative with each other. I remember, because I'm old, right? I remember back in the 80s and 90s, it began with what we call this uh, battle in the churches that were called worship wars. Some of you lived through those years. As churches began to battle over what kind of style of worship they should have, and this battle destroyed churches. It split churches. It caused people who were close friends and co-workers in the church to end their friendships forever. At one point, I thought that battle was over, but I'll be honest with you, I think it's still going on today as people are fighting for their kind of songs and their kind of music to be sung in the church. Another area that has become divisive in the church is politics. It's always been in the background, but especially I saw in 2016, I saw the division of politics within the church become the most evident that it had ever been. When now former President Trump ran for office, we saw people in the church quickly take sides and they asked, do you support Trump or do you not support Trump? And there didn't seem to be any middle ground. People within the church seemed to take sides and you either had to be all in or you had to be all out. And the two sides were adamant in their opinion that their opinion was right. And if you didn't see it their way, in some eyes, you weren't even Christians, Now, once again, I saw friendships and people leave churches because they disagreed with a fellow believer or sister on who you should or should not vote for. Now, on the heels of the 2016 election, you all know what we had then. We had what? COVID, right? We know COVID came, and the division that was already in the church became even more magnified. As brothers and sisters in Christ questioned your love for God, or maybe even your love for people, based upon the approach to COVID and what they thought was the right approach. And then really woven in the mix during all these things was the division of race. 
As often within the context of these other arguments was the discussion about racism and the church's role in prolonging racism in our country and how should we address it. Now, here's what happens. When you put all of this together, what has been experienced in the church is this intensifying division and the church being weakened. Now, before I go any further, let me ask again, has anyone besides me noticed this division? Okay, so we have, so we're on the same page, right? At least I'm not alone, and hopefully acknowledging that, that you've noticed a division too, that you're gonna want to hear what the scriptures are gonna say to us. Now, if you're not really excited to hear what I have to say, I'm gonna give you a couple of reasons why today's message is important to you and why it's really important to all of us. Because first, let's consider the words of Jesus. In John 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples, his, his followers, and he said these words to them in verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. I don't think, all right, I really think this is a smart crowd. I really don't think I need to explain those words to you, do I? Absolutely not. Jesus said to his disciples, all people will know that you are my my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, Jesus made it plain that people we know we belong to him if we love each other. When believers are united in a world that is so crazy and divided, it shouts to the world this. It shouts to the world that we belong to the Lord, that we are driven by something different, that there is a common bond and purpose that is greater than the issues that we face in the world. Now, unfortunately, the division that we see in our churches, are you ready for this? It's shouting to the world that we don't really belong to Jesus. Now, is unity then a big deal to us as believers? Yes. Unity was something that Jesus said believers is essential. We need to hear what the scriptures say on this matter and understand that not only do we need a Valley Creek united, we need believers everywhere united. Besides the words of Jesus, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, where we read these words directed at believers in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with some people. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Live peaceably with most people. I messed that up again, my bad. Live peaceably with at least the people you agree with. No. As much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all right. Here's what the scripture is clear about that we as believers are called to display unity in our lives. In fact, would you repeat this after me? We are called to unity. Ready? All right, so you got that, right? And since this is our calling, we should strive for unity in our lives, especially with fellow believers. Now, maybe it's hard for some of us to accept the fact that we have division in the church. But let me quickly remind us that this is not a new phenomenon. It's a problem in the early church as well. In fact, the apostle Paul, who wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians, he wrote it to the church in Corinth, and it was a church that had many problems. One of those problems, in fact, was division. Paul wrote these words in chapter one. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been recorded to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. 
What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Believers were arguing within the church about who they were following. Some believe they should follow the, Paul, the teachings of Paul because, in fact, for many of them, he had led them to the Lord. Others believe that they should follow the teachings of a man named Apollos, who was obviously well-spoken and a very smart guy. Other believers thought they should follow the teachings of Peter because he had a closeness to Jesus, and some simply proclaimed, no, we follow Christ. Paul addresses this division briefly again in chapter 3, and he blames it on the fact that the people were immature and they were living in the flesh. His point was simply that if you live as a mature believer, the vision should not exist. The believer's common bond in Jesus should cause a unity that allows them to serve together and to be agreeable even when they do not agree. This takes us, in fact, to chapter 4 where I want us to look to find some guidance on how do we strive for unity and be the witnesses that Jesus has called us to be. Paul here, he's caught in the middle of this division about who to follow And he gives us a direction and lets us know that we strive for unity first by doing this, by following Jesus sincerely. In fact, look at what he writes in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. I have you there now. Now you can look at your Bibles, all right? It says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You see, Paul didn't want believers to be divided. He wanted them to see things with unity. For him, unity began by understanding who do you follow. Paul made it clear to the one to follow is Jesus Christ. Paul addressed himself as well as Apollos and all other believers really as servants of Christ. The word in the Greek for servant is the word hyperitis, which literally means under rowers. That's what it means. It means under rowers. It described the slaves who sat in the belly of ro- and rowed the huge Roman galley ships. Paul was emphasizing the point that he was under the authority of Jesus Christ, that he wasn't the captain, that he simply followed the orders of Jesus. Therefore, people shouldn't be fighting to follow him. They should be following Jesus and Jesus alone. He emphasized this point by saying they were stewards. In other words, that they didn't own anything of their own, that they were simply taking care of what Jesus had entrusted to them. Now, why is this important? point very important. It's because we have to ask, all right, who are you following this morning? I want to ask that. Who are you following this morning? Who is your master? It's an important question that we answer because even though Jesus was talking specifically about money in Luke 16, this truth still exists. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Too many people today want to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ while not really or sincerely following him. People want to follow Jesus because he forgives sin and they like the thought of being forgiven. But what they forget is this. To be a follower of Jesus means, you ready? You let him have control of your entire life. You understand that? It means you let him have control of your entire life. It means that you are his servant, that he is the one calling the shots in your life and no other. Can I ask you, who are you following? You know, many listening to this message because you are either in church or you've joined online specifically to hear a sermon might want to quickly respond. Well, I'm following Jesus. I mean, that is who I follow. I mean, I'd be doing something else this morning if I wasn't following Jesus, right? But let me ask you, are you really? Really? 
Or, or, or maybe I should ask it this way. Are you following him fully and sincerely? I want to make it clear that just because you say you are following Jesus doesn't mean that you are being his servant and steward as Paul proclaimed. Many want to claim Jesus and his benefits, but then they follow another. Many claim to follow Jesus, but then let other voices or opinions dictate their lives. Now, this morning, I may offend someone, but that will not be in my intent, especially on my first Sunday back, right? I probably should have saved this message for a couple of weeks down the road, but I'm not. This is a good place to launch, right? Uh, but if I offend you, here's, here's what I want to say to you. My intent is not to offend you, but if what I'm saying applies to you, I pray that there would be a conviction because you need to know that if you are known more for the politician or the political party that you follow, then you are following the wrong Savior. Right? If you're no more for that than for following Jesus, it's the wrong Savior. And if you say, oh, that's not really true of the people, right? Well, just do this. All right, go on social media and look at some people the way they, they, their profile lists, and they'll list their political party, and they'll list their politician, a follower of a certain, before they list that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the wrong order, Right? When a person lists that political party or politician before they list the follower of Jesus Christ, they are telling us that there's someone that they serve more than Jesus. And before some of you say too big of an amen, let me say, if you're known more for the preacher or teacher than you follow, than being a follower of Jesus Christ, then you too might have the wrong Savior. That may sound silly, but people today follow preachers and teachers like Piper, MacArthur, Jeremiah, Moore, Warren, Stanley, Jakes, Graham, and even, unfortunately, Olstein, among others, all right? They follow them, and many Christians may want to claim to be following Jesus Christ when they're actually serving people or ideologies. I even say that as I begin serving as your pastor today, you might be called to respect me in that position but make sure that Jesus Christ, or that, that Scott Kerr is not the one that you are following, but Jesus Christ is the one you're following. You hear me? And don't just say you're following Jesus. Make sure he is the one truly is the center of your life because here's what you need to know. He is the only one who is perfect, and he is the only one who died to give you life. Now, if you're following Jesus, Paul stated then, that what is important is that you be found faithful. Be found faithfully serving Christ. In fact, let me quickly tell you how this makes a huge difference. If you are faithfully following Jesus, it means you're following his example. Now, what's his example? Well, Jesus said this in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And right before those words, Jesus said this to his disciples, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave of all. Jesus' example is one of serving, which tells us that if we're going to be servants of Jesus Christ, as Paul proclaimed, we too must be serving. And in case you wonder what this has to do with striving for unity, I am going to tell you, all right, when you are focused on serving people, you have less time to be condemning them. So much of our division comes because we're being critical of people. But if you are truly going to serve people as Jesus did, you cannot spend your time criticizing them. Here's what I love about Jesus. All right? He could confront sin in a positive way because he had already spent time loving and serving people before he ever dealt with their sin. All right? 
Because he had ministered to them and loved them and, and, and served them. When, when the time was right, he could point out their sin in their life because he didn't overlook sin, right? That's not what I'm saying this morning. But he spent his, his bulk serving and loving them. And so then he could speak truth into their lives because they already knew how much he loved and how much he cared. Therefore, let's solve our problem of division and strive for unity by following Jesus sincerely and serving others as he served, all right? Now, next, we are to strive for unity by this, by letting God's opinion be the one that matters. Paul's caught in the middle of this divisive debate about who people are following. Do we follow Paul, who is popular, or do we follow Paulus, who speaks so eloquently, who speaks so much better than Paul? by pointing out the fact that he and other leaders are simply servants of Jesus Christ. And, and so the debate right there should stop, right? Should the debate be over? Yeah, I follow Jesus, right? It, we, we know that, right? But Paul goes on to say this in verse three and four. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul knew that even though he has pointed people to Jesus, that people will still argue about which earthly leader to follow. Therefore, he is acknowledging that he's not going to get caught up in the debate and that, in fact, the opinions of others doesn't really matter to him. In his words, it's a very small thing that he would be judged by others. But Paul acknowledged that there are two other opinions that matter more than what others think. I want you to catch this, right? There are two opinions that matter more than what others think. Paul said, here's the two opinions. My opinion of myself and the Lord's opinion. Okay? Now, when I think about that, uh, first of all, part of this is real scary. Paul knew that his opinion mattered because he knew that he knows himself more than anybody else. Now, is that scary? Is it? Shake your head this way. It's scary. Because you know... All right, the best parts about yourself, but you also know the bad parts about yourself. The parts that you try to hide from everybody else, right? Say, yes, preacher, I try to hide it best I can. The good news for believers is this, that if you look at your opinion of yourself and you do an honest assessment of your life and you find something that is not right, that God is always waiting to forgive you if you confess your sin. That's what it tells us in 1 John 1, 8. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Paul's case, though, he looked at his life in a moment of judgment, and he says, at this moment, I'm not aware of anything in my life that needs to be judged. In other words, he was prayed up, and he was confessed up at the moment. However, he says that the fact that he didn't know anything about himself in the moment didn't acquit him, or others did not make him not guilty. Because he said the opinion that really matters is the Lord's, and the Lord's opinion is perfect, right, and just. You see, the Lord knows not only our actions perfectly, he knows our motives perfectly, which honestly at times can be hard to judge. We all would do well to remember that there is a judgment coming to each of us one day, and it's not the judgment of man. In Hebrews 9.27, we're reminded it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Every one of us one day will stand before the God of this universe, and we're going to give account of our lives. He will judge what we did right and what we did wrong. He will judge what we believed rightly and what we believed wrongly. It is his opinion that matters and not the opinion of a person. And if you will keep that in mind, you should not be held slave to the opinion of others. 
If you keep God's judgment in mind, you should not let your life be dictated by the opinions of those around you. And I'm gonna go ahead and confess to you this morning, I have, at times, I've been caught in the trap of worrying too much about what people think about me. I'll go ahead and tell you, if you don't already know, it drives you insane. Yes? Some of you have been there with me, right? Now let's realize there are two aspects of valuing God's opinion the most that will help us to live lives of unity. If you let God's opinion be the one that matters and not others, then you will not be quick to defend yourself and begin a divisive argument or take divisive action. See, think about how much of the things that cause division are simply the opinions of others. In the case that Paul directly dealt with, it was the opinion that some had that Paul was the one to follow, while others argued that Apollos is the one you should follow. Well, which was right? I'm really going to say it was probably a matter of preference. It was just an opinion. Paul was saying they both serve Christ, so why argue over who you're following? Paul wasn't going to let what others thought change what he was doing. Paul also set the great example in that he didn't try to make the case that he was the better one to follow. Paul didn't say, oh, you should be following me here. Remember, he already pointed us to Jesus rather than Apollos or him. He wasn't going to be argumentative or divisive trying to defend himself. Because too often in our world, people feel they have to defend themselves or make themselves look better or argue their side. In fact, can I ask you another question? How often does it help when you try to defend yourself or to argue your point with someone else who has a different opinion? Is it ever helpful? Never helpful, is it, right? In fact, again, do this again. Go on social media. All right, just look, and you see somebody who's an expression opinion, all right? If you didn't know this, people like to express their opinion on social media. Have y'all noticed that? So they'll express an opinion, and what follows after that? Have you ever noticed what follows when somebody expresses their opinion? A whole bunch of posts of people, all right, trying to argue against their opinion. Here's what I have never seen, never seen. I've never seen anybody influenced by arguing their side on social media. Right? So why do we waste so much time and energy? I would encourage you not to worry about defending yourself with others. It typically makes things worse. If you will live as a servant of Jesus and be found faithful, anything wrong that someone might even say about you will be brought to light and you will have avoided much division in the process, all right, and arguing in the process. And you might even put yourself in a place to get an apology if you conduct yourself differently than others, right? Y'all still with me this morning? Now, next... If you let God's opinion be the one that matters, you will save much energy that can be wasted criticizing others and arguing fruitlessly. Let me tell you one reason why you should not judge others and express your opinion so readily. You are not God, and you cannot judge correctly. Therefore, don't waste your time. We all need to realize that we cannot appropriately judge people's lives. We can judge actions wrongly, and we can judge motives wrongly. As long as I live, I'll never forget what it was like being a pastor during COVID and that everyone judge my actions. Some judge me as not trusting God when we'd cancel service because of COVID. That would be followed by people who judge me about not caring for people when we decided to have services, right? At times, it was not easy to tell what was right, but I know that people were quick to have their opinions and judge. The point I want to make today is that people try to judge and they're not right. Like for any of us, when we try to judge people, any judgment will be incomplete because only God knows all things. That is why it is best that we leave judgment up to God and best that we let God's opinion be the one that matters the most. 
And if God's opinion is the one that matters the most, you will be less critical of others and more repentant about your own sin. There should have been an amen to that, but we don't say, okay, all right, I'll move on. We all most likely could practice repentance more than having opinions about others. Now, why do we let the opinion of others matter so much? It's because for some reason we believe we have to have validation from others to be complete. For some reason, only if people see us as valuable do we feel valuable. Typically, much of the division we see happens because somehow whatever is going on with the other person we are divided against, it's making us feel less fulfilled. God's opinion should be the one that matters, but because we let the opinion of others affect our fulfillment, we need the last thing that Paul shows us because we need to strive for unity by finding your fulfillment in Christ alone. See, if you boil everything down to what, boil everything down, what you will ultimately be left with is the fact that division really comes because we want to be the best and we want to have it all. Am I right? Therefore, when we think that someone jeopardizes our ability to be the best or our ability to have it all, we find ourselves at odds with them. We find that division creeps in. In fact, James 4 gives us insight here when we read these words. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, right? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that what we do all the time? When we are unfulfilled, we fight, we quarrel to somehow find the fulfillment we are looking for. It's interesting how Paul continues on after talking about how God's opinion needs to be the one that matters the most when he says these words, beginning back in verse five. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Now, here's what Paul's doing. Some of you read it scratching your head. So what did he just say? Well, Paul is criticizing those who are causing division by arguing that either Paul or Paulus is better. And one of the big points that he is making is that you should not argue that anyone was better than another because God is the one who gives all of us the gifts we have. If Paul somehow was more eloquent in speech than Paul, then you know what we're to do? Thank God that God gave him eloquence, right? If Paul somehow had a greater boldness than Apollos so that he was allowed to go to new places and start new churches, then praise God because God is the one that gave him that gift of boldness. The point is simply that anything a person has is a gift from God to be thankful for and to use, be used faithfully for his glory, not to be bragged about or not to be criticized. This truth extends really to everything we have in life because in James it also says every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Folks, we should not fight or quarrel because someone has something we do not have or because someone has achieved something we have not achieved because God has been the one to give those gifts and blessings. Now, 
Paul does get, I think, a little sarcastic in verse 8 when he says this. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you've become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. And I, I think he's a little sarcastic and he might have been, but here's what he is saying. Ultimately, we can see the point that will help us find unity with others. It is a point that I'm making right now that you should find your fulfillment in Christ alone. Paul may have been a little sarcastic to make the point, but what is true is that if you are in Jesus Christ, you should already have all you want. Paul was wanting these believers who were causing division to recognize that if Jesus Christ is in you, you already have all you need, and therefore you shouldn't be fighting to, to, to get more or fighting to have the side you support in charge. He wanted them to know that they didn't need to fight for more possessions, more prestige, more power, and in the process hurt others because in Jesus Christ, they should already be content. I'm sure where Paul wanted them to get is the contentment that he spoke about in Philippians uh, 3 where he wrote these words. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, Paul wanted these Corinthian believers and all believers, including every one of us here this morning, to simply desire more of Christ and nothing else. See, this was his desire because he knows this. If you do not find contentment in Christ, you will be fighting for more of something at the expense of others and in the process cause great division. You see, division even within God's church where we should be the example to the world. Paul knows that if we don't find contentment in him, we could get where the Corinthian believers did, divided in the area that should even give us our greatest unity. Now, for time's sake, because I know I, I gotta be wrapping this up, so for time's sake, I'm not gonna read this, but here's what I want you to do sometime, maybe even today. I want you to go and read 1 Corinthians 11. As Paul's been dealing with this division in the church, he's trying to point you, like, Jesus should be our focus. He should be the one that makes us content. And he realized the problem that because it wasn't there in 1 Corinthians 11, he addresses the fact that because there wasn't unity in the church, even when the church gathered for worship and they gathered for the Lord's Supper, the place where they should be the most united, they found themselves divided. They couldn't even get along to worship the Lord. They came and did the Lord's Supper and it became the haves versus the have-nots. Those who were rich were eating abundantly as they were celebrating together. Those that were poor had nothing in Christ's body. Why? Because they didn't find unity and contentment in Christ. Even the Lord's Supper became a divisive thing for them. I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? We're not doing the Lord's Supper this morning. Maybe we should have. But I want you to think about when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what it means. It's the very thing that's proclaiming to us there is one who died for us, right? There's one who shed his blood for us. There is only one that can save us from our sin, and his name is Jesus Christ, right? When we let division, though, come into our church, we can't even celebrate that in unity. Is that a shame? Yes. 
And Paul said, listen, Christ should be our focus because the Lord's Supper reminds us that no matter where you come from, no matter what your background, no matter what your income level, no matter what your academic achievement, no matter what your business prowess, no matter what your political persuasion, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what your abilities, no matter what you are, you are equal in the sight of God. And my prayer, here's my prayer for Valley Creek, you ready? That as we move forward, that worship would never be a time that divides us. That the Lord's Supper would never be a time that divides us. That we could gather in this place, and this could be a place where we worship the Lord. We don't come here and it does more harm than good. That would be a shame, would it not? And the way that we gather together in unity and the way that we shout to the world that we belong to Jesus as when we as a body of believers, we come together and we find our contentment, our fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And through that contentment, you know what we do with each other? We love each other. We love even those that are a little difficult to love. Amen? We love those even who see some things a little differently than we see them because, listen, much of things in our life is our opinion. Right? So my prayer for Valley Creek is moving forward that we would strive for unity. Are you ready to do that, church? I hope so. So I'm going to get ready to close here in a few moments. And we do this as we strive for unity. Let's just be honest in these next moments. Can we be honest? I want you to be honest. I can't look into your heart, but you know you. God knows you. I'll invite you in these moments even to let God search you. But here's what I ask as we get ready for an invitation. There are some this morning who claim to be followers of Jesus. Can I ask you, are you following him sincerely? I have no doubt that in a congregation this size and with those who are listening online that there are some who are letting politics, a politician, a preacher, a philosophy, or something control your life more than Jesus. If that's you, let today be the day that you come to this altar, that you kneel before a holy God, that you confess that and you say, God, today is the day that I want to fully and I want to completely surrender my life to you. You're the one I want to follow. I put all these other things in the background. God, today, you are the one. I want you to dictate my life in every way, God. I'm holy and I'm sincerely yours. Others here this morning need to let God's opinion be the one that matters in your life. You need to come and confess to God that you've let the opinions of others drive your life. And because of that, you're always in some type of argument or always defending yourself or maybe possibly for you, it's just that you always feel bad about yourself. Let today be the day that you come and confess that truth to God and start saving your energy and getting rid of emotional distress by simply letting God's opinion be the one that matters. That may bring you, look, That may bring you to the altar to confess something because you know God knows you and there's something in your life that's not right and you need to meet him here. Well, that's fine, all right? Remember what I told you. He is willing to forgive you and cleanse you if you'll come and bring that to him, amen? It's okay if God knows you honestly, right? Well, then come this morning and say, God, your opinion's the only one that really matters and I bring myself to you. Now, others today need to come because you're not fulfilled, you're divided against others because you seem to be, they seem to be standing in your way of fulfillment. You need to recognize that in Jesus Christ, you already have all you need. And you need to come and confess that you've been looking for fulfillment in other places and to begin to rest in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Now, for others this morning, maybe some of you listening are not believers. 
If you're not a believer this morning, first, I want to apologize that many believers have not been the example you need. Maybe you've been hurt by believers who are divisive. Let me just quickly say, don't let that taint who God is to you. I want you to know that Jesus came to heal your division with God. Sin had separated you, but Jesus came to reconcile you with God. And if you will confess this morning that, 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 that Jesus Christ you know, is your Savior, that you'll confess that sin to him, what you can discover is Jesus is a Savior who loves you, who died for you, and offers to you freedom from the things of this world that seek to divide us. I want you to come this morning and let someone share with you the hope that Jesus brings. In fact, in a moment, Jacob's going to be standing over here, and I'm going to be standing over here. We would love to tell you how Jesus fulfills your life this morning. If you need to come, I would pray that you would come. I I don't know what this invitation means for you, but let me just say, let's all of us today strive for unity in our lives. I believe if we have that focus, I truly believe that God can use this church He can use your life to proclaim to the world that there is a Savior, that there is a Savior who loves us all. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning and get to end this message, Lord, I have no doubt that we need to strive for unity. And God, I pray this morning that you would just simply work in hearts Lord, take your word and and Father, work in hearts and minds today. If there's one here today that that needs you, or they need to lay one of these points down to you, Lord, whether it's maybe in in their eyes they're not fully following you, not sincerely following you today, or maybe today they're not finding their fulfillment in you, I pray this moment they would come and make those things right. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. And Father, as we continue to worship you in this moment, let your spirit fall down and truly change lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.